Winston Churchill once said, you will never reach the destination if you stop and throw stones at every barking dog. When I was a little girl, I had a paper route. Is there anyone <laughs> Is there anyone else here who had a paper route? Is anyone else? Oh, okay, good, a few of us. I feel like there's a certain amount of like camaraderie that exists with paper route carriers because it's like snow or rain or sleet, like you are out there carrying the paper. Mine was a little local paper, the Eagle Tribune in Haverhill, Massachusetts, where my dad was serving a church. And from fifth grade to seventh grade, I would come home from school every day to a bundle of papers in my driveway. And I would haul them into my house and I would fold them in thirds and band them, my hands becoming black with the ink. And I'd put them into my two canvas sacks that crisscrossed my body. Now along the route, there were several dogs that would bark. And like um, the, the story uh, where the monsters would roar their terrible roar and gnash their terrible teeth, uh, I had visions of these dogs, of biting and mauling, dancing through my head like some macabre sugar plum fairy scene. And I would attempt to long distance lob the paper onto their porches, hoping to avoid these canine companions. But often, I would miss my target, and I would have to scour bushes or go into the neighbor's yard to find the paper and then put it on the porch. The paper route took so much longer than it should have because I wasn't just focused on the delivering of the papers. I was worried about these barking dogs. I wonder, for each of us in our lives, what are the dogs that bark? What are the worries and anxieties that call to you like they call to Martha in today's scripture? And they've called to people throughout time. There are so many things that can pull us away from what is truly important from that destination or the main task at hand. There is so much work to do, we tell ourselves. So many worries, so many things to distract, so many barking dogs. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which may not be taken away from her. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O oh God, are our rock. You, O oh God, are our redeemer. Amen. So this passage today is a familiar one. For folks who grew up in churches or, or have been around churches, it's almost a joke or sometimes an insult, depending on how passive-aggressive people can be. Folks will label themselves a Martha or a Mary. The Marthas being highly efficient, the doers of the church, the food makers and pew polishers. They're the folks who had a list of things to get done, of gardens to be tended, of volunteers to be recruited, events to be organized. And then there are the Marys 
the folks gifted with being, who would sit with and pray for, these are sometimes seen as the spiritually minded. This passage in the Bible seems almost like a role reversal of Aesop's fables, that ant toiling away, rising early and going bed to bed late, hauling and gathering and tending, while that grasshopper enjoys the beauty of the natural world, playing sweet music and basking in the summer sun. And when winter comes, the ant is prepared, safe and secure, while the grasshopper is left out cold and hungry. We are taught as children which of these, the ant or the grasshopper, choose, in Jesus' words, the better part. But in this passage, Jesus uses these exact words to describe Mary having chosen what was right. The grasshopper of this story is being commended. It's going against the fiber of our very being, that pioneer mindset that tells us of hard work and of its rewards. We often equate our work and our worthiness, these labors being seen as holy things. And I can't help but wonder, though, if there is another way to read this text, a way that helps us see anew the ways and the whys of why God is calling us to be like Mary, and to recognize the ways that we are pulled to throw stones at barking dogs like Martha by our worry and our anxiety. And it keeps us from reaching our destination, and it keeps us from being present. Now, I had a professor in college who I think I've referenced before, who reminded us time and time again the importance of understanding the context of the text or scripture. And that it's important to understand not only the historical context, the time and place which the Gospels were written in, the ways that the world, the writers found themselves, shaped the stories they told, much like the world we find ourselves in shapes the stories we told. Uh, but it's equally important to understand where a particular passage fits in the larger narrative of the Gospel. And that's especially true within this passage today. See, the story of Martha and Mary is often told in isolation like some standalone parable, warning against the idea of works righteousness, lauding presence. But this story exists in the Gospel of Luke in a pivotal time, quite literally, actually. Pivotal being that in-between time. See, Jesus at this point is going towards Jerusalem. He is not there yet. But we've already seen Jesus start his ministry. He's already gathered his followers. And here in this passage, Jesus is in the middle of the story. The inevitable end is coming. The ways that the Roman Empire will crush the messenger of God's holy love, hanging him on a cross. Jesus has actually by this point told his disciples that that end is coming, that he is not with them much longer. And in Luke, it is no secret. Reading this passage this week, I was struck by where this passage fits in the story, in this in-between point, in the hard middle ground. And I felt such a connection with Martha because I've been Martha. 
The first time I was with someone when they died, I was a seminary student. I was serving for a summer as a chaplain at what was St. Raphael's Hospital in New Haven, Connecticut. And in this hospital, the chaplain had two main goals. Every person who walked through the door of the hospital was to see a chaplain, and the chaplain was to be present at every death that occurred. And so late one Friday night, I was woken from my sleep in this hospital bed under which uh, above which hung this gruesome scene of the crucifixion, Jesus's face twisted in agony. Um, and I was awoken by the beeping of my pager. Someone was actively dying and a nurse on staff was requesting a chaplain. I slipped on my shoes and I rubbed sleep out of my eyes as I made my way down the fluorescent lit halls. Those halls were bustling during the day, but they were eerily quiet at night. Upon entering the room, there was a man who was lying in a bed with the stiff white hospital sheets covering his frail body. He was no longer conscious, and his breathing had become labored. And I sat for a minute with him, and I prayed aloud for him, and I blessed him. And then I sat for a few more minutes. I believed then, as I still believe now, in the power of someone being present for us all at the end, when we take our last breaths. It doesn't, though, and I know sometimes can't always happen that way, but even as a young student, I had that belief, and I wanted to make this possible for that man. But as I sat with him, I became worried and anxious. I wanted him to have a good death. And so I got him another pillow from the, room, the closet in the room. And I played with the lights, trying to dim them, make the space feel more peaceful. And I covered him with an extra blanket in case he was cold. I wasn't the one who was not comfortable yet. I was not comfortable just sitting with this dying man, knowing that hard act was, as Jesus says today, the better choice. I was Martha. See, Martha and Mary, like the disciples, would have known that the end is near for Jesus. He had declared it by this point multiple times. This man who had changed everything in their lives, who had shown them love like they had never known it, and who they love, was leaving the world in, the harsh, in a harsh, violent death. And I can imagine the heartache that these women felt. And so I resonate with Martha, and I can hear her saying, if he is not with us much longer, let me tend to him. Let me make him comfortable and go about these familiar acts of love that will give me comfort in the doing of them. Let me make a meal and clean the dishes. Out of love, yes. But as Jesus names today, also out of a sense of worry, out of a desire for distraction. Martha, Jesus says, you are worried and distracted by many things. If we are busy doing, after all, we do not have to settle into the sadness. If we are busy doing, we don't have to think about our own anxiety. And we live in a time where there is so much to worry about. In a Harvard Business Review article in May of 2020, right after the pandemic hit, 
An author asks the question of, are you stuck in an anxiety, distraction, feedback loop? And I don't know about you, but I have been stuck in that cycle before. And with all that is happening in our world, it's easy to find ourselves turning to distraction to numb and avoid. And we pour another glass of wine, or we scroll through social media, or we binge a TV series, and time slips away from us. Now, not all distractions are bad. The author of this article reminds us that sometimes distracting ourselves can provide a much needed escape valve, helping us to recenter so that we can approach the thing before us. Where distraction becomes bad, the author writes, is when the reward of the distraction stops being, well, rewarding. For Martha, her doing, the work that she is going about, the cleaning and the cooking, the tending, the many tasks, maybe that those things aren't in and of themselves the issue. Maybe it's that in doing those, maybe in doing those, it allowed her to approach her grief in a new and different way. And that's not a bad thing. But that's also not how it fully played out for Martha. And it's not how it plays out for us. Like Martha, the reward we're seeking sometimes ceases. In search for comfort, our means of avoidance of distraction isn't always comforting. And we find ourselves throwing stones at barking dogs, and these behaviors can become harmful instead of helpful. We can become bitter and frustrated. We can become frantic and frazzled. And the anxious worry that loops us back around to the behaviors that won't actually give us what we want, where we get nowhere where we are stuck. I wonder if this is what Jesus is speaking to, that better choice isn't a one-size-fits-all, but that the better choice is one in which we are actually getting what is needed in that moment, where we are able to live into our fullness of self, not out of a sense of fear and anxiety, but out of assurance that even if we are headed, even if where we are headed is uncertain and scary, that that is not the end. It is certainly not where the gospel ends. And friends, it's not where our lives will end either. I lived, when I was a paper girl, I lived on the street where I delivered papers. Uh, and it was, a little, it was a little loop, these blocks. Um, I would go down one block and then over and back up to my house. And in ninth grade, I by chance befriended a girl who lived in a house with one of those vicious dogs. I remember the first time I went over to her house, I was terrified. I timidly approached imagining that our big, snarling dog to come bolting towards me as I went toward their gate, just as he always had when I was a paper girl. And maybe, maybe it's the fact that I didn't have those two big bags full of newspapers with me. But when I arrived, my friend was with her beloved beast, and they were in the yard playing fetch with one another. And the dog's tail wagged happily. And she invited me in, and opening her gate a little, a little nervously, her dog, Fenway, bounded over, giving me a sniff and a lick. 
Maybe our anxieties are much like my experience with Fenway. They cause us to do all sorts of work or tasks, as it is called in this passage. They keep us from what is truly important. And in the end, sometimes when circ circumstances change or the initial fear subsides, they greet you not with viciousness, but with love, or at least acceptance. And I will always remember the first person I was with when he died and how I wished I just sat with him, letting my anxieties in that space subside. That surely would have been the better choice. For our worries and distractions, our grief and our pain won't swallow us. God in Jesus assures us of peace, of presence, of resurrection. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen.